the DeSoto County campus, the fun church in Horn Lake, Mississippi. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church. And uh, our message tonight is called Keep to the High Grounds. Keep to the High Grounds. Lord, I love that song tonight. It's so simple. Just give me Jesus. This world can have all the rest of it. Just give me Jesus. Jesus is enough. Jesus is more than enough. He's everything that we need. And through Him, I can do all things. He's my supply. He's my source. Lord Jesus, You are my refuge. Where I run to when I'm, when I'm feeling wore down or uncertain. And you build me back up in the Spirit. And you send me back off, like Brother Tom said, filled with the Holy Ghost and fire. You make me to be an overcomer. You make me sufficient for all things that I may have to give and to love others with. Father, you've been so good. You've been so merciful to all of us. Help us to be thankful. Help us to be grateful people. Help us to not trust in our own wisdom, our own understanding, our own natural strength. Lord, please just help us to trust in you, to be men and women of faith who look to you for all things. You are our source. We don't have to make things happen. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, Brother Chad was talking about the fast, and tomorrow is the last day of the 21-day fast, and I just want to tell you guys uh, how excited I am for those of you who have, have been along on this journey with us and fasted something, and, and I hear stories of people uh, getting involved in what we're doing here at the church, and I know it's sometimes you may say a lot of times i fasted before and i thought well i don't see anything happening and i'm like wanting some miracle and i'm wanting some the clouds to part and some word from god or something and i'm like it don't seem like i'm getting it It just seems like i'm hungry you know <clears throat> but almost it's always to me it's almost like fasting is the doorway it's it's like opening the door to god's blessing later on it's like getting yourself in position. Almost every time that I've ever fasted, I look back some months after that, and I look back and I see what God did from a distance. I don't really necessarily see it like through a microscope, but I see it through like some binoculars. And But every time you'll look back and you'll say, God did something. That, that, was the, that was the doorway for God to be able to do this in my life. I mean, things changed because I was, you know, faithful to to fast and to pray and seek God. And that's all He's ever wanted from us, is that we, we may seek Him and find Him if we search with all our heart. And it feels good. I mean, it, it's hard in the flesh. It's putting His flesh under. But it feels good. And, I, and I'd like to, Angie told me to mention, you know, as we come off of our fast uh, Friday or whatever, it might not be a good idea to go to the buffet or, you know, or, 
or if you've been fasting your phone, you know, stay on it for four hours. It might be a time to reflect and say some of these things that I've been able to control during this fast, maybe I don't want to start them back. Or maybe I at least want to ease into some of them and then control them a little bit better than I used to. So this, anything else that you would add to that? It's pretty good. We'll turn to Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12. The red letters. Go to, down to verse 39. During this passage, he's talking about Jesus coming back and us being ready when he gets here. But then he throws this in there. He said, understand this, if a homeowner knew exactly when a burglar was coming, he would not permit his house to be broken into. Just makes sense. You know, if he's coming, you know when he's coming and you watch out. Don't allow your house to be broken into. What we really need to be doing is keeping our houses. For me and my house, I'm going to serve the Lord, right? And I'm ready for Jesus to come back. So, if you know there's a burglar out there, then be watch, be watchful, and kind of learn, uh, and 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 make sure he doesn't break into your house. I know everybody in here knows the story of Peter walking on water. I mean, it almost seems like a fairy tale because you think, well. Jesus walked on water. He's God. We kind of figured he could do that. But a human being, one of us, walked on water. Pretty big event. I don't know if since then anybody has ever walked on water. Has any of you ever tried? Has anybody in here ever walked on water? Come tell your testimony, but i got to hear it. I have scooted across water like the $6 million man coming in for a landing when I fell off my skis a few times, but I've never walked on water. But Peter was in the boat with the other disciples. And they're in the raging sea. And, and they're all nervous about the storm. And they see somebody walking on the water. And all the disciples think it's a ghost. <gasps> They've got to be terrified in the middle of a raging storm at night. In the middle of the sea. And Jesus says, do not be afraid of his eye. And Peter grabs a hold of himself, I guess, really quick. Quicker than the others. And it's just a, a sudden burst of faith. Maybe it was the gift of faith. I don't know. But he said, Lord, if it be thee, let, bid me to come to you. Jesus said, come on. Now, just think about this. In real life, if you're out there in the raging sea and, the, and all your friends are in the boat, are you really going to step over onto the water and try to walk like Jesus? That must have took an incredible amount of faith. I would say that's the highlight of Peter's life, that he was with the, all his friends waiting on him to sink and laugh at him. What were you thinking? That he would step out and start walking on the water. And the Bible says is he was keeping his eyes on Jesus and he was doing something that probably no man has ever done. But it was at that point, at the height of Peter's faith, probably the most faithful thing Peter had ever done, when the wind and the wave, maybe a big wave crashed in on him. I don't know, but he got his eyes off of Jesus just long enough to lose heart and to begin to sink. 
you know the enemy is going to hit you when you're up. And he's going to hit you when you're down. He might not try to hit you so much when you're coasting. Why? Because he figures a Christian coasting is already losing. Right? But when you're at the height of your faith, and you're walking on the water, you can expect that the enemy's going to come crashing in and try to divert your attention to what you, you're believing God for. And that's the way this fast is. I've told, I told you all Sunday, I, I didn't mean to, you know, come off like something major was happening. It's just, it's been one spiritual attack after another for me for these 21 days. It's just been like, I don't know, I hope your experience hadn't been like this. But it's like, because the devil knows we're about to walk on water. He knows that we're going to another level. And so he's, man, I got to do something now or they just all going to get out the boat. I got to do something to stop this. So <laughs> Jensen Franklin, the guy that's doing the 21 day, uh, what do you call it? Devotional that we uh, sent to many of you to kind of go along with the fast. He said the biggest attacks often come at the time of your greatest success. And often before I preach or something, if it's been a, particularly hard day and things are going crazy and screens are not working like they were earlier and things like that, just everything going on, guess what? It means it's going to be good because the devil's trying to stop what's about to happen. So, so he comes at your weakest moments too now. Don't get me wrong. He thought he had Jesus when Jesus was fasting because his flesh was weak. He thought his flesh was weak, but he didn't know Jesus. And that's why I guess we're having attacks from both ends because our flesh is weak, but we're doing great things. We're stepping out in faith and doing God kind of things. So let's talk about the enemy. We're going to talk about the enemy tonight, who he is, how he, what he does, his, his MO, what he tries to do. Y'all ready? His spiritual warfare is what we're talking about tonight. What do we know about this enemy? Well, Ephesians 6, 12 tells us we're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies we're just going to start with the basics all right that means your spouse ain't your enemy no whether you think they are or not your boss is not your enemy your pastor is not your enemy Because we're not fighting, as, as Christians, we're not fighting against people. We understand that there's people led by different spirits or whatever, so, so we're merciful to the people, but it's the spirits themselves. It's the, en the enemy is the spirit that is controlling them. And it goes on to say, but against evil rulers and authorities in the unseen world. Where's the unseen world? The spiritual realm. So... We're fighting against an enemy we can't see, so we need to know what we need to know about how to, how to fight against the enemy we can't see. Against mighty powers in this dark world. Not in, yeah, in this dark world. And against evil spirits in the heavenly places. I think you guys all know that. That sounds kind of spooky and scary. Ooh. <laughs> it's like some of you are like, I, I didn't sign up for this, I'm leaving. But Satan's squad only has the power that we give them. 
the demons and the devils. The, the only power that he has is the power that we give them. He can do nothing if it weren't for our permission and God's permission. Jesus said in Luke 10, 19, he says, look, I've given you authority over all the power of the enemy. How much of the power? So if you have authority over all the power of the enemy, he can't do anything to you unless you allow him to. Let me just tell you straight up. If the devil had power to kill you, he would have already done it. Look, Jesus says, I have given you authority over all the power of the enemy, and you can walk among snakes and scorpions and crush them. Nothing will injure you. You can walk out there in the midst of all kind of stuff, and nothing will injure you. In fact, in Isaiah, the prophet, he was saying in, in chapter 14, verse 16, he was talking about the devil. He was prophesying about the devil. He says, in the end, when we get to where we're going, when we get to heaven and we look over maybe at, at the judgment of Satan or whatever, it says everyone there will stare at you and ask, can this be the one who shook the earth and made the, the kingdoms of the world tremble? No. <laughs> Not that little frail, toothless. He, surely he's not the one that had me cowered down my whole life. Surely he's not the one that had me afraid to witness. Surely he's not the one that, that told me God wasn't going to take care of me and had me to, to live a life so far. When God shows you what his plan for your life would have been if you'd have walked by faith and you see what your life is because you listened to this guy. And let the just little mist of fear keep you from, from telling your co-worker about Jesus. Or this and that. Everything that you could have done, but the devil scared you out of it. The devil cometh but to steal, to kill, and destroy. But he can't do any of them without your permission. You see, his primary goal is to deceive and divide believers. That's what he's got. That's what he's got on you. Deception. They can deceive and divide the believers with his lies. John 8, 44, Jesus says, when he was talking to the Pharisees, it's funny, those Pharisees were supposed to be, they're, they're the religious folks. They're the ones in charge of the church back in these days, the temple. He says, to the leaders of the church now, he says, for you are the children of your father, the devil. And you love to do the evil things that he does. He was a murderer from the beginning. And he always hated the truth because there was no truth in him. And when he lies, it is consistent with his character for he is a liar and he is the father of lies. Man, that's... Told him they were of their father, the devil. Guess what? We were all of that father, the devil, until we gave our heart to Jesus and got translated out of that darkness into the kingdom of his dear son. Thank goodness I'm not in that kingdom anymore. Thank goodness I don't have to be gullible and susceptible to all those lies that he's telling. 
And thank goodness I ain't going where he's going when it's all said and done. Whoo! But what he has is lies. And sometimes it don't take a full out lie to fool us. Sometimes we can uh, recognize the big lies. You know, he knows better and come to us and tell us, you know, we need to get a divorce and marry that woman over there. No. But he will say, it's okay to look, you know. He'll spend some half-truths, and they seem to work real well on a lot of Christians. Even in the garden, what did he say? He told Adam and Eve, he told Eve, he said, did God really say? I know, you know, God said that, but did God really mean it is what I mean? Spinning it. Trying to massage the truth. Did God, you know, you're not really going to trust that God's going to take care of you, are you? I mean, surely God wants you to do it yourself. God wants you to step up. He just starts spinning the word of God. Shouldn't you take matters into your own hands? God has promised to provide some of you certain things, and you says, well, it's been three days. God hasn't done it yet. I better go get a loan. And we take matters into our own hands, and we don't trust the Lord. Is it? Just little things, you know. He's always arguing with us about the Word of God. Because see, He carries a different spirit than the Word of God carries. The Word of God carries the Holy Spirit. It's a spiritual book. It's God's Spirit. And it must be interpreted with God's Spirit. But He wants to get in there and interpret it with a different spirit. How many knows you can take this Bible and you can do an awful a lot of horrible things with the words in here if it's taken out of, into the wrong spirit. You've heard them people do it. They take this thing and they twist it all up. By the time you're like, I don't even sound like what I thought Christianity was. But that's what they do. And he even, the devil even argued with Jesus about the Word of God, and Jesus was the Word of God. <laughs> He's so silly. See, as I have matured as a Christian, I, I also learned that the Bible says that, you know, don't call names even to the devil. You must, God wants us to be respectful and not get down on his level. 1 Corinthians 10, 3, 13. Let's turn there. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. I hear a lot more pages this this Wednesday now that I preached on carrying your Bible and stuff Sunday. <laughs> Some people got convicted Sunday. Good. <clears throat> All right. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. The temptations in your life, and we all have them, right, are no different from what others experience. And God is faithful. He will not allow the temptations to be more than you can stand. And when you are tempted, He will show you a way out so that you can endure. We see in the book of Job that the devil had to ask permission to tempt or to to do anything to God's children. And see, 
God will not allow a temptation. So God does allow the devil to come and tempt us. And you think, is God working in conjunction with the devil? No, no. But he just uses the devil. The devil is like his children's punching bag, something that we grow stronger, but we get to work out and he tests our faith. He's just a tool in God's hands. And he allows the devil to come with these temptations, but he doesn't allow him to tempt us more than we're able because he knows where we're at. So if you're being tempted, let me tell you this. God allowed it, and God knows you can make a way of escape, that he's made a way of escape, and you don't have to take the temptation. It's just a test. How about we start passing some of them? Maybe we'll, you know, after you pass a few tests, maybe you won't have to take so many more. When you're tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. He'll show you a way. He'll show you a truth and he'll show you a life. And every time the answer is Jesus. The answer to your temptation is Jesus. Just like the answer to everything else is always Jesus. You keep your eyes on Jesus. Your love for Jesus will cause you to rise above any temptation that you have. Any way the devil's trying to get you to do, yeah, but I love Jesus too much. Can't do that, sorry. But the devil, he's a good liar, and he's subtle, and he's been doing it a long time. He don't really have any new tricks, but he don't really need any new ones because the old ones are still working fine. And he will get you turned around if you are not staying in the Word of God like we talked about Sunday. If you're not praying, if you're not staying built up, if you're sliding back, and not moving forward as a Christian, and you're not, if you don't know where you stand in the Word of God, you don't know you have authority, you don't know that you can say no, you don't know you have authority over the devil, all these things you don't know leaves you at his mercy. You remember Saul before he came, became the Apostle Paul, he was a persecutor of Christians. He was in the religious sect of the Pharisees. He was of those, you know, the. Matthew twenty three thirteen says they they cross land and sea to make one convert and then they make them twice the son of hell as they are. You know, that's not God's way. He says you won't go in and you won't allow anybody else to go in God's way. You just want to narrow the door. You don't want people to get saved. You want to wear the long flowing robes and go around and, and tell everybody else how how beautiful you are and how lowly they are. And so that's what Saul believed. He believed that he was doing God a favor by killing Christians, by throwing them in jail, by stomping them out. Can you sincere? Don't you believe Saul was a sincere person? He was zealous for the things of God. It says he was like tops in his class. He was a Pharisee of Pharisee. He was serious about God. He sought God, but he was sincerely wrong about God. And he sought to destroy Jesus and those who followed him. And I think about Judas. Judas Iscariot. What if he thought he was doing a good thing? You know, these are real people. People don't just jump up and say, I'm going to betray the Son of God. 
Something must have been going on in his mind. He was struggling with something. And you know what I believe? I believe he spent too much time with the religious ones. He was going around them and they was telling him, come on, we'll give you 30 pieces of silver if you betray Jesus. You spend too much time around the religious folks of this world. You lose sight of what Jesus really died for. For God so loved the world, not a select few. The church is supposed to be a hospital of hope, not some place, for uh, a museum for perfect saints. And some people don't want it to be like that. But the devil, he partners with our flesh to convince us to live in a selfish manner. His playground is the human pride that we have. That was the devil's original sin. He wanted to exalt his throne against God's and there. Everyone born into the line of Adam has had that seed of pride, human pride. Man, we just get puffed up with it. There was a matador, you know, a bullfighter. And he wore his little tights, you know, little silk tights and his little fluffy shirt with the big shoulders and he had his little funny hat on and he would have his cloak and the bull would come by and you know, he'd pull it out from under. He's just laughing at the bull. He's the best matador around. Yeah, you know, and whatever. And then when it when the crowd's growing tired of his show, then he starts stabbing the bull with a with his sword. Every time the bull come by, he'll stab him again until the poor bull's, you know, about to bleed to death. Is on his last leg, and finally, when the bull ain't got nothing left, the matador pulls to the side and stabs him in the heart, and the bull goes down. The matador, he goes out <laughs> to the crowd, taking his bows and, and all this, because the bull is dead. But what he didn't know was the bull wasn't dead. And the bull jumped up, and the bull gored him in the back. It came out through his heart. And as he lay there on his last Breath, he says, the bull has killed me. Human pride was always going to come back and get you. It's always going to come back and stab you in the back. It's always going to turn around. It's always going to get back up. And it'll come back to bite you. Another thing Satan's okay with is if we're puffed up with knowledge. He would love nothing more for you to never miss church and sit in that purple chair and just go crazy with theories about the Bible and, and know every book of the Bible, can quote most of it. He would love nothing more for you to just know everything about God but never put anything into action. He's perfectly fine. In fact, people get so puffed up, the Bible says, we get puffed up with knowledge. And that's what brings 
pride, spiritual pride into the church. That so many people, especially in America, think that they come to church just to get a word so that they can gain knowledge and they can know more than other folks do. And they will be the last ones to go to an outreach. They'll be the last ones to give, to, to, to sh- share with other people in the church. They go to conferences. They got a lot of, lot of, lot of, lot of knowledge. But they're hearers only and they are not doers of the word. And the devil's fine with that. You're no threat to him. In fact, you're in prime position to get in spiritual pride and develop a critical spirit. Well, I know more than everybody else. And you begin to sit back and put all this knowledge into action. <laughs> Look at them. I can tell you exactly what's wrong with them. That's why they don't listen. <laughs> they need to come to my Bible study. I know it all. And spiritual pride is an ugly thing. We ain't got time to get into all that. We should spend our time evangelizing and discipling folks so, so much that we ain't got time for that mess. If somebody's puffed up in spiritual pride and they're critical of everybody else, they need to start putting their knowledge into action. They won't have time for that because the harvest fields are white and the laborers are few. I'm glad you know all the steps to reaching somebody, but how about you get off the purple chair and go reach somebody? You talk a real good game. Sometimes we lose sight of what it's really all about. There's two greats. It's the great commandment and it's the great commission. It ain't about how much knowledge you can gather. It's about bringing in the harvest. Sometimes my mind's blank. Hold on. All right, there we go. No. Peter. He had a. He heard Jesus talking about the things that he was going to do, that how he was going to go to Jerusalem and he was going to be crucified and on the third day he was, and how people were going to mistreat him and everything. Because Jesus told them several times, they just wasn't listening. Jesus was saying, I have the plan. I am the way and the truth and the life. I am the Savior. I'm the one down here that has made it happen. You're the one supposed to just believe it happened. And do what I tell you. But Peter said, no, no, no. We're not let that happen to you. Spiritual pride. Jumps up and says, no, no, that's not the way it's done. We're going to fight in the natural. I got a sword here and we'll take care of business. And so some people just want to go around jabbing everybody with the sword. They want to go in their natural strength and, and, and do what... Jesus has already accomplished. Jesus has already made a way. He's already forgiven sin. We want to go stirring it up again. Poking people and says, well, 
You're not living right. We want to cut people up with the sword. And Jesus wants us to cut up the devil with the sword. That's what the sword of the, 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 sword of the Spirit is for, to, 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 to beat back the forces of darkness. Can we watch that video real quick? Got the sound up and the lights. You know what it felt like? Um, it felt like dad strength. You know, when you were a kid and you're wrestling with your dad, you know, and he's just taking all the hits and he's toying with you, and then boom, he just takes you down. Jesus setting me straight that day. It, it felt a lot like that. Okay, okay, I know, I know. Hindsight is twenty twenty, but at that time and at that moment, I, I just couldn't figure out what he was talking about, you know? I mean, why did he have to suffer? Why did he have to die? No, 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 not, not on my watch. This wasn't going to happen. No, sir. It just wasn't like he was he was thinking straight, you know? I kept thinking maybe he's dehydrated. Maybe he's hungry. The man never got enough to eat, if you ask me. So I take him aside and I start get laying into him. And before I could even get very far, he stops me, looks me in the eyes because he has those eyes. And you know what he said to me? Get behind me, Satan. Dad strength. Those words, those eyes. That moment floored me. He floored me. <sighs> but I mean, seriously, get behind me, Satan. All right, I admit I have some flaws, you know, but Satan, I mean, that stung a bit, you know what I'm saying? I mean, I just didn't get it. I just didn't see the whole picture, which won't be the last time that'll happen, mind you. 
You see, I, I wanted him to use that that dad strength on the world, you know? I mean, my desires, my plans. And your boy, Peter's plans, they don't always work out so good. I.E. ear slicing, etc. But he knew, he knew all along. <laughs> he would give us just enough rope for allow us to figure things out for ourselves. And then he just... He had that dad strength, you know? He pulls back in. Right at that moment, we needed saving from ourselves. That was his plan all along. Saving us from ourselves. Saving me from myself. Jesus, uh, he recognizes the spirit that we're operating in. He said, get behind me, Satan. You're only thinking about the things of this world. You're, you don't understand what this is really all about. I am the Savior. I don't need you to be the sin police. I don't need you to, to make a mess of all this. I have provided life and you just go bring in the harvest. So our primary weapon, if, if the devil's primary weapon is a lie, what is our primary weapon? Absolutely. Who, who wins out truth against the lie? Truth always wins. Who wins out light against dark? Who wins out? God against the devil. We just stay with God, right? We just, our primary weapon should be the sword of the Spirit. Now, we're not going to get into the whole armor of God, which we could. Maybe we will next week or something And found in Ephesians 6. But there's a whole bunch of armor that God has given us, spiritual armor, that work against a spiritual foe. But the only really offensive weapon that we need is the sword of the Spirit. And it says the sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. And so this truth will always defeat the lies of the enemy. So keep the sword in your hand, like we talked about Sunday. The, tr the truth defeats a lie. And another thing is, don't be tempted to get on the devil's turf. He's always drawing people out. He's trying to persuade you to get away from the safety of the church and get away from the truth and the Bible and out from underneath the covering of a pastor and out from underneath your friends that are trying to lead. He's always trying to draw you out. In 1 Peter 5, 8 says, Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. What does it say? Stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. 
So how, if, if, he's roar, if he's wandering around like a roaring lion seeking to devour, don't run. Don't run to him. Stand firm in your faith. That makes sense? Stand firm in what you believe. Stand firm in the belief that the truth will overcome a lie. That your God is bigger than that devil. That light will overcome darkness. He's just like a lion. He's not a lion. He's seeking whom he may devour with his lie. He's seeking to destroy your faith to have you compromise and say, well, uh, thank God said. Instead, he's trying to move you off your center of knowing what God says. A lion wants to separate its prey from the herd. You've seen National Geographic shows, right? Where the, the lions are waiting for that little weak uh, wildebeest to the, the one that's lame or something that gets away from the rest of them so they can attack. I had a dream about probably two weeks ago. And in my dream, I was at FedEx. That's where I used to work for 12 years, out there on the ramp with the airplanes and all that stuff. And uh, I used to drive one of those tugs and pull containers and all that kind of stuff. If you've never been there, it's a whole different world. But I have a lot of dreams from that same place. And I was sitting on a tug in the middle of the daytime, and there was people walking around, working, loading containers and stuff. And a tiger comes walking by my tug. Now, I'm sitting with somebody, I don't know who. But the tiger comes, and I'm like, <laughs> I'm thinking it got loose out of a, a cage somewhere or something, and I'm, I'm scared for all the people. And I'm, you know, trying to, and I'm getting my phone out, and who do we call for, for a lion, you know? And the lion goes in the building, and I'm trying to call 911 or whatever I'm doing, but then a golf cart comes out of the building, with two or three people in the front and the lion on the back. And it's like, it drives off. And I'm like, oh, well, it must be a tame lion or something, you know, and it, it goes off and it's out of sight. And then you know how dreams are. The next thing I am, I'm not at FedEx, but I'm up on like a, a cliff. It's a green grass cliff up here. And I see the lion coming back. The same lion, not the lion, I'm sorry, a tiger. It was a tiger. But it was a tiger. And so the tiger's coming back, but it's down in a valley. And I'm up on a cliff. He can't get to me. But I'm glad, I'm glad for that. And it looks like he got blood on him and stuff, like he has devoured those people who were foolish enough to go off with him. And before I can say or think, the person in the tug with me jumps down and runs down the cliff to fight the tiger. And I'm like, don't, don't do it. And I'm sitting there on a tug, and this tiger devours the person that was on the tug with me. Just starts mauling him. One of his ankles is flipping around and stuff. And I'm like, once again, my heart is, is and I don't know, I, I'm freaking out. And then I wake up. And then I begin to pray about this dream. And things that I that I, I, I thought and thought, 
And to the best of my dream interpretation ability, I believe that the tiger was representative of the devil. A tiger is not a lion. He's like a lion. And I believe if God would have showed him as a lion, I'd have been, is that, is that the tribe of, line of tribe of Judah? I'd have been getting confused if that's the, what lion that was. But it was a tiger. And it's like a lion. So it was no, so in my interpretation, I understand it's, a, it's the devil. I believe the people that drove off with him with a golf cart are those who fell for his lies, the churches or whatever, in the end times, that apostate churches or whatever that drive off with him. But then, I guess he destroys them, I don't know. But he comes back, and then my buddy jumps out and goes down the cliff onto the territory of the tiger and gets mauled. I didn't have time to think of what I was supposed to do. I wanted to save my buddy. I, I wanted to do something. But clearly, if you went down there with the tiger, you were going to get tore up. Tonight's message is called Keep to the High Ground. The Bible says, do not be ignorant of the devil's devices, but it doesn't say you have to become an expert on his devices, that you have to spend all your time thinking about his devices, that you got to get down in there with the devil to fight the devil. Are you listening? Some people have majored on the devil. Now, the person that was with me their heart was to destroy the devil. Their heart was to do right. But instead of trusting Jesus and staying on the high ground, because Jesus defeated the devil, instead of staying on the high ground, they got down and ran to fight the devil and got in the midst of the darkness with the devil and learned about the devil and studied the devil and, and found out all the things that the devil was doing in, a, in order to destroy the devil, but found themselves deceived in the darkness with the devil. You cannot get down there with the devil. He will deceive you. The longer you stay in the darkness with him, the louder his voice gets and the voice of a stranger you're not supposed to follow. But now you're getting confused. Whose voice is speaking to you? Don't go on the devil's turf. This world is... The, the devil, he wants you to try to fight him on his territory. He would love to get you down there and maul you. Fear and torment prevail in that darkness. But we're supposed to stay in the light of Jesus. We're supposed to stay on the high ground. We can't get down with the devil because he's work, his major deal is strife and division and confusion and all those things. And we think we're strong, but we're only strong in Christ. And so he, I don't care, like I said, Saul, maybe even Judas, many people who thought they were doing the right thing is because they tried to meet the devil head on and got deceived. 
Peter thought he was doing the right thing. Oh, I'm going to fight him, Jesus. I'm not going to let him come after. Jesus said, you don't know about spiritual things. Get behind me, Satan. I am the victory. This is not a battle you fight in the flesh. Matthew 7.15 says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing. But inwardly, they are ravenous wolves. Yes, in the last days, there are going to be false prophets. There are going to be these religious folks. They're going to be, they're going to be dressed like we are. They're going to be dressed for church. They're going to look in every way like one of us. But inwardly, they are ravenous wolves. They have been influenced to do the same thing, to, to tear people apart and to maul other Christians or other people within the church. And you will know them by their fruits. You remember the people I told you about all puffed up with knowledge? They will out-argue you the Scriptures. You'll say, yeah, that, that sound, you're, I guess you're right. They'll have you confused. They'll, they'll be interpreting all these scriptures, but it'll be out of the wrong spirit. Because they're in spiritual pride. And they got a critical spirit. And that's not the way you interpret the scriptures. And you shall know them by their fruit. You shall know people by their fruit. You shall know churches by their fruit. Does the church you go to, are people being saved? Are people being discipled? Are people being healed? Are people being prayed for? Are people being loved? Is there fruit? Is the Spirit of God at your church? That's what you must ask. If it is, if the Spirit of God is at your church and these things are happening, then you must judge by the fruit that you're doing right. No matter how many people say, oh, that church is wrong, that church is in error, that church is... Are you loving folks? Are you saved, getting people saved, filled with the Holy Ghost? Seeing lives changed. You judge a church. You judge a person. What kind of fruit are they producing? Is it just a lot of talk? Just a lot of scriptures taken out of context? Or is what they know being put into action? And are they producing disciples? Not ones that they draw in after themselves, but disciples of Jesus Christ. Keep to the high ground because victory is in Jesus. Is anybody following along with me tonight? Stay seated with Christ in heavenly places. I'm telling you. We're at the end. And we got to know the right spirit that we're operating in. Or we'll be deceived. 
I mean, I'd love to jump off that tug and go down there and fight too if I thought that's the way it's done, but that's not the way it's done. Ephesians 1.20 says, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in heavenly places. So Jesus is now at the right hand of God the Father in heavenly places, far above all principality, all those powers, might and dominion. It don't matter if it's good power or bad power. He's above it all, right? And every name that is named, not only in this age, but also that which is to come. So in other words, Jesus is supreme from now on, forevermore, over all things. And he put all things under his feet. Say under his feet. And he gave to him to be the head of the church. So Jesus is the head of the church. And it says, which is his body. So obviously a head has a body. So Jesus is the head of the church and we are the body, the fullness of him who fills all and in all. And the good news about that is, if Jesus Christ is our head and we're part of the body of Christ, the true body of Christ, then all things are under our feet. Because the feet is the bottom of the body. And it says all things are under our feet. And we should stay seated in heavenly places. The battle has been won. We do not fight it in the natural. We don't get our swords out and try to tear up the devil or tear up one another. We trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ, the blood of the, of the Lamb of God, the love of Jesus that hung on that cross. And we stay with the great commission and the great commandment and we keep producing fruit until Jesus comes back and we don't let the strong man try to burglar, try to come in and rob our house. Amen. And they're out there. And I don't want that brand of Christianity that they're pushing. It makes me ill. It disturbs my spirit. Our victory is not in our own strength, it's in the Lord Jesus. And the power is in the love. And the love produces the fruit. Any of that make sense? So we're just breaking it down, aren't we? You shall know them by their fruit. I pray there's fruit in your life. We are not a typical church. And we're not going to be. We're not going to sit here on these purple padded chairs and just heap to ourselves knowledge and then point out everybody else. We're going to be about Jesus' business. And when He comes, we're going to be able to say, Look what I've done, Lord. He's going to say, well done, thy good and faithful servant. You were a hospital of hope. You were igniting the passion in other people to serve me. You were, in, you were in hot pursuit of true purpose. To you, everyone mattered. There wasn't classes of people. 
You were reaching out with my love and you were restoring those who have lost their way. Yes, you were a friend of sinners just like I am. You were believing the best about everyone. Hallelujah. 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 Lord, we just thank you. That's the God I know. That's the Jesus I follow. Help us stay in tune, Lord. Help us stay lockstep. Not be dissuaded. Not be distracted. Not be brought off course. Not go to the left or to the right. But stay with you. Trust in you. Look to you. Believe in you. And preach the cross of Christ. I thank you, Father, that we will not be shaken. We will not be moved. We know in whom we have believed. And we pray in his name. Jesus. Amen. listening to the podcast today. We hope you enjoyed it and that it inspires you to live out God's Word. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church.